welcome back to friends, to family, to just about anyone in between. Thanks for coming back and checking out our fourth episode of I Swear This Will Make Sense. Uh, a little bit differently today, uh, I'm going to explain how things are going to work. Sean, lovely Sean, uh, already knows our topic. I know for our past two episodes, I've been telling Sean uh, what the topic of discussion for the pod is going to be um, as we are recording, which kind of creates a fun dynamic. But today, uh, Sean is ready with our topic. I told him about an hour ago what it would be, um, and that's what we're going to be doing. So um, be advised, today we came prepared. Hi, Goose. It's good to good to see you again. Hello. See, see you. It's, see it's, is a relative term. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, to hear of me. Uh, it's, yeah, it's nice to hear that you were on the other line. Prepared. I think that's a little more effort than um than I than I really gave. But uh, yeah, I, should we I, say um, mentally mentally prepped and primed? I've never been mentally uh, prepared for anything that's <laughs> ever happened to me. But I definitely <laughs> it's fair. feel yeah. It's fair. Uh, I've I've thought about this a little more. The thing is, the reason we uh, tried different things about telling me topic is because i really uh, tend to get in these cycles of overthinking and i decided it would be good for me to just sort of uh avoid that by getting the topic uh in the moment or in this case an hour before and what is that topic? yeah exactly so um i'll let us get right into it um folks it it goes without saying that we're in a, a bit of a difficult time right now uh especially for people our age with covid it's been over a year of of uh, covid tom's isolation life um, and then if you're a student, like the two of us are, <laughs> guess what? It's also final season. So um, finishing out the end of the school year and a lot of stress, uh, a lot of stress. And in times like these, I kind of try and think of what brings me joy and what uh, grounds me. Um, and that's what made me choose the topic for today, which is, uh, should we do a drum roll again? No, I think we're good this time. Okay, fine. No drum roll. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe next time. <laughs> uh, today, our topic is going to be art and aesthetics. Uh, I chose this topic because art um, brings me back to my passion and makes me feel really happy, especially in times like these of, of a lot of stress. Uh, and that's why I picked picked this topic to chat about today with you, my lovely Sean. Hello. Um, so to bring us in and kind of prep us for the topic of aesthetics, I'd like to talk with you about one of your favorite things. Can you guess what this favorite thing is? Oh, no. I don't, I don't know. There are a lot of different it's things. It's birds. It's birds. It's birds. It is it's birds. It's birds. Congratulations. I thought you were being sarcastic. No, it's actually birds. Actually it's genuinely birds. Okay. It's actually one of your favorite things. Um, I was listening to the story this morning uh, on the daily about uh, beauty in the natural world. And there's these natural scientists who have kind of been studying birds. I'm so sorry. I'm like butchering the explanation of this really wonderful scientific story, but there's a lot of research going around in the world of birds right now. Um, and birds who kind of display really beautiful plumage or decorate their nests in really gorgeous ways and just thinking about the beauty of nature and how these kinds of things don't have any purpose. They're not for, for mating reasons. And there's kind of this debate in the scientific community right now, apparently, about if if birds show these beautiful patterns on their bodies and in their homes and, and in their songs um, if it has to be for a natural purpose or if it can just be um, for appeal. And that really got me thinking about aesthetics. Um, and so with that being said, that weird little anecdote regarding birds and beauty, um, I wanted to ask you, 
uh, about your thoughts on just the philosophy of aesthetics and what to you makes something beautiful. Ooh, those are two very different questions. Um, two very different questions, very and you can you take it in any direction you, you would like. I, I love when you do that. at once so that neither of them gets answered. <laughs> uh, I have always had <laughs> Good. a very combative relationship to the philosophy of aesthetics, meaning Ooh, okay. um, whenever someone tries to make an aesthetic judgment in some way or make a judgment about the field, uh, I get very angry. Um, not in a cruel way but um for example let's ground this in something uh mm, one of the things you hear often and this is this is a pretty central question with most philosophy of art is how does one define art and if it, you're at a music school as i somehow am um you will often hear people <laughs> say something along that well no just a very strange series of events that got me in here um uh some people will say things like well you can't define music and I always think that that I is, disagree with that is, is sort of a useless thing to say. It's also, I think, it, blatantly yeah. untrue. And what's really funny about you someone in a music school saying you can't define music is I always want to ask them, then how do you know you're not in the computer science building? <laughs> there's, you know, there's a clear difference. And they say to that, I don't know where I am right now. Some Can you please way, direct me to the nearest hospital? You know, you're in the music building right now. If your university has a specific music building, some just have an art building with music sections but to say we cannot define art or we cannot define music i think is is false to say we can I, define I it I, uh, satisfactorily that's more of a discussion but the thing is is when someone yeah, exactly. says we cannot define art we cannot define music in my case i'll be more specific uh with music um i always you know well then you can't really say anything but moreover then i wouldn't know what you were talking about to say that the definition of oh, a word whatever. is flawed and therefore the word holds no meaning it those are two different things M music's definition has changed it has been stretched it has been constricted depending on the era depending on the person it still mm -hmm. is in many ways sometimes uh when the definition of music gets stretched you see people trying to reel it back but the central uh, reason for people sort of making that argument is it's more difficult to engage with the idea that there might be bad music and good music. So, oh, I yeah, think a lot okay. of people Let's sort of say this. that when good you know, bad art. yeah, they or, or or they hear you know a new piece of music, and someone you know says, well, that's not music. That's a very difficult argument to to actually refute or discuss. And I have a problem with that as well. When someone hears something they don't right, like, it's a matter and says, of opinion. Sure, that's not art. That's uh, you know, that's not art. That's not music. Whatever. It can it can still be art and just not be to your taste. It can right? just be and bad it can, art. It can, just, it can just be bad. I think I think we've we've sort of. <laughs> Do you think that there's objectively bad art? Uh, no, but I don't think bad? bad and good are objective either. I think that's the. I think it's sort oh, of um. The the problem is people was you know oh when you say this art is bad you're saying it's objectively bad. If I'm saying something is bad, unless I'm talking about murder. I'm not saying it's objectively bad, but moreover, murder is subjectively bad considering, hold on, hold on, in human society we treat it as twice. such. But if you see a lion kill a gazelle, you're not like, oh, that lion's a murderer. He should be in prison and he should think about his actions. You go, that's what happens. You know, murder. I have a thought. He's got a very specific, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Right, so the Why idea that we start talking about murder. Hold on, but the idea that, that like anything has a specific judgment upon it, 
objectively it isn't really fair i don't yeah. think that's just i just sort of not a human thing so much of if we're talking about language subjectivity is going to be a huge part of it and especially if we're talking about art so if i say um that a piece of art is bad the subjectivity is implied and to treat it as though i'm saying that to some objective standards of taste this is bad art is it's bad faith. That's obviously not what I'm saying. But that doesn't mean I can't justify what I'm saying besides, well, I don't like it. For example, and I and I will give an example. I was once in a class of people. Uh, hard to believe, but I was once in a class room filled with people. And we you listened to classrooms? a piece by Paul Hindemith, a German composer. And it, it was a 20th century piece, uh, very chromatic, dissonant, um, Ludus tonalis. Um, can you can you explain to the people listening who do not know what chromatic dissonance is? Which luckily I do, and I feel real smart right about right. Now. So what is oh that? wow, that's a heavy topic. I'll get it real quick. So if you're in a scale, so you know do re mi fa so la ti do. That uh, was sure. not even close to in tune, but that's not the point. I'm, um, I'm familiar. <laughs> that's diatonic. If I begin to add notes in between those notes, you know do di re re mi de, that becomes chromatic. And if I describe something as chromatic, I might also be meaning that it isn't clear what scale it's in because it's so free okay, with do. its use of any notes that it isn't clear that it's what do is in this case, you know? Oh, okay, thank you for that. I wanted to uh, ground the people listening. So, um, so it's, it's, you know, it's a piece that has a lot of very uh, tense chords and, and it's not really clearly in one key. It's, it's nothing like Mozart, let's say. Um, but I really liked it. I really did like it. And then I was informed, or maybe it was the reverse, either beforehand or after, uh, I was informed, though, of the intentions of the composer. And I won't get into that because that requires far more explanation. But suffice sure. to say, I did not believe that the intentions of the composer were realized within the piece. That if this mm, was their intention, okay. the piece did not, in fact, achieve this, even though, separately from those intentions, I really enjoyed the piece. So... I said as much. I said I liked it, but I don't think it is X, Y, and Z that the composer intended it to be. And one of the things I was sort of met with... Um, now, this sounds like I'm just trying to get my revenge at people being uh, annoyed with me in a classroom setting. Yeah, go for it. And that's what Do I'm it. doing. Um, so I want to be clear <laughs> that that's what I'm doing. No, I, I just... It sounds like I'm doing just this. very that's indicative. exactly what I'm I don't doing. Want, I, I don't want to... I don't want to seem like I'm calling anyone stupid or because cause i disagree with them i just disagree with this but i got a lot of well you just don't understand it and i'm condensing it here mm. they were that condescending but not as succinctly um a lot of you know well you don't understand what he's trying to do uh and i really resist that because my question is if i for one thing uh when i didn't understand it I enjoyed it more. When I actually had less understanding of the intentions of the composer of the piece, mm -hmm. I understood it. I liked Just it more. Just to hear it and experience the, it. Yeah, the idea that understanding yeah. leads to enjoyment is deeply flawed, I think. And I think this is... So I'm going to make a real point, a more broad one here, about art, is that I think the idea that, oh, you know, um, more difficult art that's maybe more cerebral or new or whatnot... This idea that once you understand it, you enjoy it, I always never liked because I think it's worth trying to understand something even if you don't like it. The idea that the point of understanding new age art, of experimental abstract art, 
is to then enjoy it after the fact, I always thought was a little ridiculous because that's not the mm-hmm. the point. Because you might not enjoy it, but you might understand something about yeah. a human person that made art. And that's exactly. also uh, valuable. So... I have two. I have two things. Go ahead. First thing, I'm so glad we're having this conversation, and I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. I feel like I pick, pick the best topic ever because this is really what I needed. You know, like talking mm. about art just brings me so much joy, and um, and and really helps me out. Second thing, I have some thoughts about what you were talking about, trying to define art and kind of trying to to pin it to one definition, and how that can kind of be difficult and. I'm currently writing a paper on film noir, and for those of you who are film scholars or maybe you just, you like cinema, um, you know that film noir is infamously difficult to pin to a single definition. Uh, Hundreds of people have remarked on it uh, in writings over history, and that's so interesting. Oh my god, I bet you're loving this. Um, (laughs) My point point is that film noir is really difficult to define, just like a lot of art is. It's hard to, you know, write down, this is what it is, X, Y, Z. But that doesn't mean that you can't recognize patterns. I mean, we all have a collective memory of film noir. Those, you know, the light coming in through the blinds and a character with a fedora and sunglasses on being very mysterious. These are things that we can recognize. So you can look at art and you don't have to necessarily pin it to a definition or try to describe it or try to understand it, like you were saying, in order to to recognize what it is and enjoy it and be able to, like, recognize these patterns. Um, I don't necessarily feel the need to understand art to enjoy it, which I will tell you is a quality that is very helpful to a film student because, oh my God, what do they show us in these lectures? Some of them are just live water births and they're like, hey, this is about communism. And I go, huh? Oh, you saw <laughs> my someone film. explain? <laughs> yes, it was my, that was your new feature, right? Yeah, no, I, that would took, <laughs> that would took a while with um, the COVID <laughs> restrictions, right? You had to find a real pregnant woman. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyways, I I don't feel the need to really pin art down to a definition in order to enjoy it, um, and that's what I wanted to say. I think I think that's important. Hmm. Um, question for you: Is there a piece of art, or an artwork, or an art series, or an artist, or whatever? Um, that you're currently interested in, something that's bringing you passion or inspiring you or making you angry. I don't know what, what's what's up. What's on what's on your plate? Hmm, that is a that's an excellent question. Uh, if you want to, oh yeah, go ahead. Currently is is an interesting thing to put there. Um, I want to know currently because I know we all have art that inspires mm. us. That's kind of always there from years ago, and that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about right now. Right, right now. Okay. Um. Mm. Well, you know what, actually, I have found a lot of interest in um, the sort of opposite say ends bird songs. of, <laughs> what'd you say? Sorry, I, I said say bird songs, and then I quietly under my breath went, damn it. Oh, I'm always, that wouldn't be a current thing, that's an ever-present thing. No, no, that's forever, that's always with you. Uh, yeah, no, I, um. Sorry, go on. That's a good question. So I have found really a, a lot of interest in looking at modern pop question mark music um we're losing Ooh. genre a lot i think um as we go oh you think so uh i'd love to talk about that uh but uh, well i'll focus a little more but then yeah, we, I'll, we definitely I'll, I'll talk about that. but um mm. i find the two ends of people's audio production quality interests really interesting we have both an emergence of some of the cleanest most well-produced music you've ever heard you know, with expensive microphones, perfect 
audio quality, perfect, perfect. Um, this is very true. Not a single out of tune note because of um, you know auto tune and pitch correction that is now uh, you know undetectable to human ears because um, of how well it's produced. And on the other side of that, we have a huge wave. Now, and this has been building since like the '90s, right? Of lo-fi music. It seems mm. like oh, it's a you know it's a 2010s trend or whatever. Oh, I guess we're in the 2020s now, which is crazy. Um, you know, and we saw like lo-fi beats to study to, but the idea of those are my favorite. Like lo-fi music, it's not even close to new. Um, really, it emerges. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Well, think about it. What is it trying to emulate most of the time? Is tape recording. Like how many of the effects on lo-fi are directly and, and vinyl emulating and like vinyl old school and shit. tape, but specifically tape. Specifically tape, you get a lot of that warping mm-hmm. and a lot of that hiss yeah, from yeah. tape. Uh, because what they're trying to emulate is that huge wave of mixtapes. And mixtapes weren't actually just in hip-hop. They were huge then. And it's actually fascinating, I think, to me as well, that uh, the the complete sonic change of now since, uh, like, rap and, and trap and, and hip-hop, uh, I don't know if you would still use that term for what's in the charts now, is now the dominant, easily the dominant genre, if there is one. Um it's now got the highest production quality. I mean, everyone is doing something with some sort of trap beat now. Ariana Grande has <laughs> trap beats now. The world has changed, right? All of my friends. But like the if birth... you're listening to this, I know you're doing <laughs> trap beats right now. The birth of you know uh, rap and that kind of thing is not in studios. You know, uh, a lot of it was influenced by um, the blackouts, uh, in which people were able to uh, get proper recording equipment. Uh, blackouts around uh, uh, America. I'm not. I can't remember exactly the state. Uh, that's my mm, bad. America. But um, there's only so that's much okay. music history I can cram in my brain. But you know what I mean. The early aesthetic of hip hop is is mixtapes made with home studio equipment. You know, and then slowly that becomes as the genre uh, becomes more popular and mainstream, you get actual studios because a lot of people producing in in less than stellar situations. And now we have the opposite end of that. But my actual point, I find it really interesting that in response to that, I think one, I think one of the reasons lo-fi has grown exponentially as an interest, uh, as a way of recording, as a whatnot, even with artists who can afford otherwise. And sometimes people do, you know, bedroom recordings because that's what they can do. They can record in their bedroom and it won't sound like a studio. But some people in studios are trying to get a lo-fi sound. So why is that? I think most of it is a reaction to how ridiculously squeaky clean modern music sounds. Huh. Okay. That is a really interesting theory. I guess I never really thought of that because it's true that the music that, you know, plays over the radio or that you pick up on Top 40 or you just see on your Apple Music, it's it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. It's beautifully done. I mean, I, I know very little about music production, but I know it sounds great and it is very clean. And there's there's kind of an absence of that, like, hand-done kind of presence that you might see somewhere like lo-fi mm. yeah i can kind of relate to that honestly like i i mean i'd like to talk about something that um is bringing me a lot of joy lately and the reason i bring it up is not just because it's it's like it's such a fantastic piece of art and i want to talk about it and it gets me really excited and i love it um basically what i want to talk about is this movie called malcolm murray and if you're a netflix fan you've definitely seen it you've heard of it you might have watched it 
Currently, the photo of Zendaya from that goddamn movie is my lock screen on my phone as well as the wallpaper on my computer. So as we're sitting here recording this podcast, I am locking eyes with Zendaya. Anyways, that's beside the point. I love this movie so much. I watched it last night for the second time in maybe a week. I'll probably watch it again tonight. I, I, I just love it. And part of what I love about watching it is that it's bringing me back to why I love film. It's made by, you know, three people in quarantine. And, and there is a, a, you know, a more extensive crew. But compared to normal Hollywood films, it's nothing. And I just love thinking about these filmmakers in a room with these two actors putting it together and it, it just being so handcrafted. Um, and that's what I love about film is, is that you can kind of see the handprint like you were talking about with lo-fi. Like you can actually feel someone behind it making it happen. And I love that. Um, I'm a film student, which means I don't, I spend so much time writing about movies that I don't actually have any time to watch movies. And Malcolm mm -hmm. and Marie was the first film that I watched in ages, actually, I, I hadn't seen anything new for months because I'd just been sitting at my computer editing and writing, and I'm very fortunate to get to do those things. Um, but it, it's sometimes really isolating um, to be in a major and, and be in a field that you love trying to make films and trying to be inspired while at the same time you have no time to actually just explore the thing that you love. So Malcolm and Marie, I highly recommend it if you're a film student like me and you're kind of in a, not in a rut, but just working a lot and you don't actually have time to watch movies and, and get back to your roots and get back to what you love about the industry, go watch this movie. It's really good. Um, and that's why I just, I just get really happy about it when I think about it. Cause it's so good. Um, and I, I just, I love that. There's, um, something that I wanted to bring up today. It's a, a French term, uh, and it's called photogenie. And have you, have you ever heard of this? Uh, I have not. Really? Okay. It's, it is a film term. It's basically, um, to try and describe it, it's basically when you watch a film and on a particular frame or at a particular scene, the audience member is struck and overcome with this just overwhelming happiness and awe at the film. The French and made that term? You, you don't say. <laughs> they absolutely did. Is it, is it happiness? Is that the specific emotion? It's, it's not necessarily happiness, but just just being struck by the beauty of, of film is really what it is. Mm. And, and being um, overwhelmed by, wow, this is just so powerful. I don't think it's necessarily like a, a happy or I a sad I just would never feeling. assume the French would, you would know, come up with would go with happy. happy. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, they don't. They don't. Well, maybe in, that's in stereotyping an entire... That is what it is, but I just... Um, especially artists generally, the idea of happiness. I would, I would definitely, yeah. I guess awe, or just in some way. Yeah, it, it's definitely more awe. I, I don't think it's necessarily happiness or sadness or or anything like that. It's pretty neutral. I, I promise, if you read about it, you'd go, "This is the most French shit I've ever heard of in my entire life." Right. But my point about photogenie is, even though it is a, is a cinematic term, I think it applies to everything in art. I, I don't think it's something that's just limited to film. I think you can throw on a pair of headphones and listen to a song for the first time and be overwhelmed by how much you love it. Or go to an art gallery and you see a new exhibit and the color of a particular painting just strikes you so much. I think this is something that carries over. Um, so my question for you 
is have you ever experienced anything like this? Have you ever experienced being struck by art so much that it kind of overwhelms you? And it's kind of a hard feeling to articulate. So you might not have an answer, but no, um, I do have actually. I think a it's ready, so fascinating. A ready-made answer. I've had that moment quite a oh, few. Oh, you're times. the best. I've had that moment quite a few. You times. are the best. Um, let's do it. But the most memorable one to me of all time because it sort of changed uh, my life musically um, in terms of what I wanted to do. For most of my life, I'll lead up to it. For most of my life, I was really mainly into, like, on my own personal way, I was into a lot of rock. I was into, well, uh, really, I was raised in more of a folk when? I Okay, I can't imagine you yeah. being into rock. There's nothing wrong with rock. I just know you as, as you know, a very I used, like, I, different I play guitar. I've played guitar since I was 10, quite, quite heavily. This is true. Um, and, you know, like, some of the first things I learned were ACDC and Green Day and all that. Um, mm-hmm. And I uh, sang classical music in a choir, uh, but I, I don't know. I'd never had a huge attachment to it. Okay. And then I heard a piano piece as recorded by Arthur <laughs> Rubinstein by Frédéric Chopin or Friedrich Chopin. Uh, Have I heard it? His third ballad. I don't know. I've told you oh. about this. I know that, but I don't it's know if you've It's very possible that it. I have listened to it. It Anyways, is, I'll let you go. in my mind one of the greatest, if not the greatest pieces of music ever written. Now, which is crazy because it's not his most popular. There are four. He wrote four ballads for the piano. This is for the piano. Um, And the third one, there's nothing that would make it, you know, special in any way uh, from the other, except that I I don't, uh, around, I'd say three quarters of the way in, there is this climactic mm. moment, and everyone else plays it just a little too fast, and so I only ever listen to that one recording of it. <gasps> I have heard this. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, yes. Um, yeah, so but basically the whole piece has been building up to this one thing, uh, and Rubenstein slows it down. I'm actually getting chills thinking about it. Um, oh, I love it. Uh, That's fantastic. It's, yeah, it's leading up to it, and then it just hits this one chord... And it, what it actually is crazy because it's also it's just a repeat. He plays it down the octave, and then he plays it up the octave, and he just has one chord that he hits, and he and he holds it for just long enough, and the piano has been going fast and wild for quite a while now, and it's just like the sun comes out, and it's beautiful, the kind of sun that <sighs> bypasses your eyes and goes straight into your heart. You know what I mean? yes of course and and it's just i that blew my mind i couldn't stop thinking that's about photogenie it. that's what i'm and saying and that's and but then that was what made me want to change what kind of music i wrote that's what made me want to go and start writing really classical music now i didn't know that there was such a thing as new classical music at the time um hmm. so i just thought you would write you know like in that style well that's not even close to the case but um I mean, you can't, but uh, I don't. Um, but just mm. I realized that a piece that <laughs> was seven minutes long could be interesting the whole time. Um, and <laughs> when you are someone who's easily distracted, that's um, that's really something that's to really find powerful. out. And, that's really something. And I yeah. and but the most important realization was that when I went back and I listened to just the point that I loved, it was never it was never the same. It was never as powerful 
as if I listened yeah. to the whole piece. I had to listen to the whole piece to get to it. It had to be in context. That's yeah. what astounded me. And it was me. part of the lead up that made it special. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a chorus, right? Where you can not know the verse, you can not listen to it. And then someone hears the chorus and you sing along and that's great. And there's nothing, there's genuinely nothing worse about that, nothing, anything. But there are certain things that only certain styles and structures can give you within music, within art generally. Uh, and I don't want this to sound as though I'm saying that as in only classical can give you those structures, because there are a lot of things that I can only get from genres outside of classical music. Um, right. There's something specific for each thing. Exactly. And so I, I think that was a huge moment for me was that sort of realization, not of, oh, this is what uh, this is the only thing that matters, you know, uh, but just uh, I really wanted to be able to do that. I really wanted to learn how someone was able to do that. And so that changed that changed a lot for me. Um, I've had a few other moments, but that one is probably the most impactful because it changed uh, really just about everything in my life. Hmm. Wow. I, I didn't know that that's why you decided to start going into the genre of music that you're into now. And I, I think you're right. I think every different genre, and, and like you're saying, we're kind of losing genre, so it, it's getting more and more difficult to distinguish them. But every different genre of music and every different kind of um, variation of art in, in whatever medium you enjoy or practice, it brings something new. Um, I would love to talk about my experience with Photogenie and kind of when I knew, oh, this is the thing. This is a real thing that people can experience. Um, I went to see a show at the National Ballet. I know what Sean, this you is. probably know, I know the story. This story. <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going with this. This is my this is my infamous Photogenie story. Um, I went to see a show at the National Ballet called Frame by Frame. Uh, and it was about the animations of Norman McLaren, who is a Canadian animator. He's my favorite. I, I adore his work. Um, and it was kind of a mishmash between cinema and ballet. And it was gorgeous. I've never seen anything like it before. Um, and there's a moment where there is a single dancer going across the stage and she is being lit with a strobe light. Uh, and there's an effect playing, a sound effect, uh, to make it sound like a projector, a 16-millimeter film projector is sounding and, and rolling. Um, so it creates this kind of cool effect, like the dancer who's dancing across the stage is on a reel of film, um, like she's being looked at uh, and, and, and screened and projected on a reel of film. And it's, it's terribly fascinating. But there's a moment where she jumps across the stage. She performs this gorgeous leap from straight up from one end of the stage to the other, like, flying. And with the strobe light going and this projector sounding and me being, you know, a 16-year-old who loves film more than anything in the world, I burst down into tears. <laughs> I genuinely, I, I can't make this up. I just, like, out of nowhere started crying. And I'm next to my, my family, and they're going, hey, are you all right? What's, what's going on? And I'm like, it's so beautiful i just love it so much and i am just like dumbfounded i am struck by this one particular moment of this very very beautiful show um and i i talk about the show a lot because it was really influential for me and, and just really is one of those things that just reinforced my love of film like malcolm and marie times 1000 um and it's it's such a cool feeling for those of you who know photogenie or maybe you think hey i've kind of felt something like that um, it's wonderful. I think it's why we love art. I think, um, you know, it's why I love art. I think we love art for different reasons, but I, I, I think it's I think, definitely I one of them. I think it's really interesting I, um, that that was so effective. I think because part of it, um, 
this would be my interpretation, is in, in a lot of ways it encapsulates yeah. exactly what is happening in film is that something is being mm. captured and to sort of how to sort yeah. of deconstruct that process, you know, not to use a buzzword, but um No, no, it's it's to, true. To it was kind of taking like, everything that film was and then just breaking it down and putting it in a new perspective. It's, it's, it's really exactly cool. what's happening in a camera, which is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's just true. constantly opening but just and magnified closing. and with a dancer who was, you know, the most talented person ever. Yeah, and I, I just think it's really interesting that I think a lot of why we value art, and I think a lot of why I miss it so much, <laughs> the way uh, the way it mm. used to be, I used to yeah. uh, have access to it, is it, for me at least, the art I value is the art that in some way captures an element of humanity within it. And I know that there are forms of art mm, which seek I love that. to in some way remove the humanity from art. And I understand the point of that. I always think... Right, there's there's also art that tries to magnify the the hand of humanity. Certainly, it, it goes both. I ways. just don't want to seem like oh, I'm saying that's not art. Um, course, I, I mean, yeah. I do think the the uh, in the end, it's sort of um, a flawed endeavor because uh, you have to set it up. <laughs> like, yes, you can have a bunch of machines make art. At some point, someone programmed, made those machines. Everything that brought those machines into existence was very dependent on humanity. But I digress. I think. Mm-hmm. That for me, what's always going to be the most important value I have is authenticity. And I think to bring it back to lo-fi. <laughs> You'd love Malcolm and Marie. Uh, I think to bring it back to that, I think one of the anyway, reasons people like that, even when it isn't necessary, is it feels authentic. It's sort of, you can get a very, very good performer to perform a beautiful song for you. And we're being very general here, mm. but... And I think, I don't know, I've had, there are songs that I can listen to performed by the people who wrote them, performed by better singers, that have been sung to me by friends, and nothing has ever compared Mm. to the impact, the emotional weight um, of a friend singing for you, or playing for you, or whatnot. There are so many of my Mm, favorite versions of songs, favorite songs are by my my friends and and the fact that I tie them <laughs> yeah. to it I think is I don't think that's you know a mistake I I think there are certainly trends we can observe in art if we want to make any sort of judgments about human taste as it generally lies but I I also do think that we should embrace subjectivity not as the enemy thank you not as the enemy of objectivity rather as inherent to whatever it is we're doing within art and so Mm. if many people take the viewpoint that something is bad something is useless i i think we should listen to them even if they're wrong do you know what i mean like wrong yeah, in any I do. that there's way. That there's that, value in someone's subjective opinion it doesn't have to just be oh that's just your opinion yeah you listen to it and understand it and kind of and take that into account in your experience of, of exactly experience I, and i think i think subjectivity doesn't end with the first viewpoint expressed either so if someone says oh what yeah, I, that's that's really what well i just heard was terrible that they aren't entitled you to can that ask them view. Why. They're not, you know, more than the person right who replies wrong. with "You're wrong" yeah, exactly. is entitled to that view. 
So, mm. so this Let's idea. Let's explore both sides yeah. of it and, and see why. Yeah, yeah. Art, you know, when someone replies, art is subjective as a way of sort of putting down criticism and or elevating it. You know, but just, oh, art mm. is subjective. Comedy is subjective. Yeah, as kind Music of like a blanket excuse. I, I just go, totally. well, yes. And it changes nothing about my criticism. Well, it's it's kind of like well, no so shit. Is, Everything so is, is my like, criticism. You can't just use my that. criticism is completely totally. subjective. You know, um, it, does it gain as much weight as art does here? No. But that doesn't. Yeah, that doesn't mean it. It shouldn't have any truth to it. Art is subjective. Here I am. I'm the subject. Who am I to say this? I'm me. I'm the person <laughs> looking at the art. I'm another human being. That welcome to the world. If so, you know, well, it's your opinion. Of course it is. What else would it be? <laughs> I, I, yeah, and I if you disagree with my opinion, that's your opinion. And if you're going to respect mine, I'll respect and listen to yours. But I think we need to be able right, to and there, there's say value in both. art is bad, even if someone disagrees with us. Oh, yeah. This, this we could go on about. That's it's important. True. Now we are. There's nothing wrong. Are, but art can be we bad. Are hitting and the closing. You can't say, oh, you know. Oh, we are hitting the closing point. So I, you know, we could we could really talk about how art is bad. <laughs> Some Another art can be time. bad, and that's perfectly fine. Let's let's leave it at that for now. Um, one thing I will say to to kind of leave us with is um, I'm so glad that we we got on the topic of photogenie because that feeling of being struck by art, um, that's why I make films. Um, that's that's really what I do it for is that feeling of being struck, like you experience with the Chopin piece. Um, or for me with frame by frame, that's a big part of what I'm chasing. And another thing that I'm after and something that I seek to make in, in my art, in my work, in my film, um, is beauty. I'm, I'm constantly chasing beauty. And to tell you the truth, I wish I could say what beauty meant to me and, and get into the philosophy of that. Um, but I don't, I don't really have an answer for what does beauty mean to me. I just, I just know it when I see it. It's that simple for me. Do you know what I mean? Mm, there's a whole discussion there, but I know what you mean. <laughs> you always do this. Well, any... I, I always do this. We always open up a whole can of worms right before <laughs> we have to sign off. But I will ask you, as we're, we're kind of hitting our, our closing here, any, any final thoughts on art or aesthetics or on bad art? Or <laughs> I just um... think one of these should be two hours <laughs> at some point, clearly. Oh, absolutely. Two hour podcast. Absolutely. Let's do an eight-hour one and people can just... Put it on as they're going to sleep, sleep through it, and have really weird dreams. Perfect. Subliminal really messaging. Dreams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are just indoctrinating the masses. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I hope you've all enjoyed Art your weekly dose of indoctrination. We're going to be switching this to bi-weekly, I think. Yes, that's another thing that I wanted to touch on as we were heading out. Uh, we're going to be doing these podcasts bi-weekly. Um, so hopefully that still fits into your little schedule and you can still listen to us uh, talk about art, but I hope you enjoyed this one. I sure did. I love, I love talking about art, and I love talking about art with you. So, yes, it's been good. It's been real. Alrighty. So we hope that you join us on the next episode. And uh, for now, we'll be signing off. Bye. Bye.